Welcome to the Beth and Kelly Show, a weekly Facebook Live conversation between Beth Fortune and Kelly Klingen. That's me. And we've made it into a podcast. Beth Fortune currently serves as Education Director at Wintergrass, the National American String Teachers Association Board, and Chair of the National Council for Orchestral Education. I currently serve as Education Director at Jazz Ed the Washington president at Jazz Education Network and Jazz Curriculum Officer for Washington Music Educators Association. We have a platform and we really want to leverage it for positive change. Please hit us up. Let's have a conversation and uh, let's move our practice as music educators forward. super excited for a conversation we already started having um, before the Beth and Kelly show went live with our brand new friend, um, David Myers. And um, David, would you introduce yourself, please, to the Beth and Kelly show fans? Listen, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know how many folks we have. Uh, with us or from where, but it's a, a great pleasure uh, to know that we have this opportunity to talk about some, I think, really important issues in the field of music learning and teaching. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. First of all, uh, in the chat, uh, there's information about the document that we're going to be discussing today, and I'll say a little bit more about that later, just so that you know that that, that information is all there. Uh, for you to pick up on. Um, so yes, um, behind me here is one of my prized possessions. Uh, this is a painting that was done for me by a client of mine when I was a music therapist, which was my first uh, job uh, out of college. I graduated with a degree in music education, but I was very interested in music therapy. And it so happened that a very progressive mental health center uh, was looking for someone. I did that for two years and then I really decided that no, I wanted to be in the school setting. So I moved back from that point uh, to public school. But that has remained with me for many, many years as I've moved 10 times now wow. uh, around the country to different places. So I grew up in South Central uh, Pennsylvania, near Gettysburg, uh, Pennsylvania. I went to a small college near there, Lebanon Valley College, which had a very strong music department. It was a liberal arts college. Um, I got my master's at the Eastman School of Music and my PhD at the University of Michigan. Uh, I taught middle school band, orchestra, uh, and general music. I was just saying I was hired as a band director to direct two bands. And on the first day of school, I learned that they had fired the general music teacher. And so I was also teaching 800 general music you were students. were the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just saying that that was so important to me because so I became a very different kind of band director from the one that I thought I would be. Yes. I think I would have been, what do they call them, you know, error detectors and you know the guy uh what is it the sage on the stage and i think you know at some point hopefully i would have uh become uh aware of the fact that that probably wasn't the best way to teach uh, but i think that might have been my early way of doing band because that's the way i was trained as a band director the way we were trained tell we're the trained. kids what to do point out their mistakes, tell them exactly how to do everything. Um, and I learned to be much more collaborative, to let the kids take a lot of responsibility. All my band and orchestra kids were in chamber groups. We did uh, artist in residence programs where we had artists from the community come in and spend time uh, with our kids. We had composers, we had uh, performers, we had bluegrass, we had barbershop. Um, we had one of the first electronic synthesizers uh, that was sold for educational purposes. I doubt anybody here is old enough to remember it, but it was called an EML 101, and it opened up like a suitcase. It had oh, wow. four oscillators, 
And of course, no computer. It was all turning knobs. So kids were learning about amplitude and all the qualities of sound. And we were doing all kinds of things like banging around inside the piano and then recording it and altering the sounds, so on and so forth. Anyway, it was great fun. Um, I also had a jazz ensemble, uh, which I loved. We did a lot of improvisation work in that jazz ensemble, mostly based on 12 bar blues because of where the kids were in their learning. Uh, but it, uh, it was a great experience. Um, after 10 years there, I went to Michigan to do my PhD, taught at the University of Wisconsin-Madison uh, in the education school, which was not a good fit for me because I'm a musician. Uh, and much as I may enjoy educational theory, I needed to be around music people. Uh, so I had an opportunity to go to Georgia State University in Atlanta, where I headed up the music ed program and developed a lifespan learning program um, to get students to think, particularly graduate students, to think about uh, working in senior centers, working in community centers, uh, even uh, you know, applying uh, music learning and teaching to their church choirs or whatever it happened to be. Uh, I was also a church organist and uh, choir director. <laughs> Uh, in addition to those 800 general music kids and 200 band kids and, yeah. you know, I don't know how many others. Um, and um, uh, so when I went back for my PhD, I really wanted to look into the relationship between school and community uh, learning and how they reinforce each other. The main question being, you know, what are kids going to do once they've had a music program in the schools? And in what ways do they continue music participation and learning? Which led me, of course, to really think about what could we offer for novice adult music learners. Mm. Uh, some of them, those music learners who tried to take piano lessons and got their fingers snapped when they hit wrong notes. <laughs> so uh, this was a, a really interesting time for me. I did my doctoral dissertation on uh, adult learning and development and how music related to that. And that was part of why I was hired at Georgia State. They wanted some courses uh, in that area. Georgia State is an urban university, a lot of continuing uh, adult students there. Um, and I spent 21 years there. And then I was recruited to um, be the director of the School of Music at the University of Minnesota. I retired from Georgia State after 21 years. I retired from University of Minnesota after 10 years. And I was most recently <laughs> at Augsburg University. And I just retired from there. That was my time number three. Time, time number three. three. This <laughs> one's going to stick. This one's going to stick. And congratulations. Yes. So oh, that you was are my transitional you. retirement job. Yeah. So that's enough about me. Well, I want to talk about all of those things. Um, <laughs> it's like, so I'm so interested in, in, in this. And how interconnected that. all of it is or should be or can be. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I don't know. I'm just like still vibrating about this idea about um, how all three of us here accidentally ended up teaching general music uh, mm -hmm. as sort of our first uh, gig, yep. well, you know, yep. and I um, just because, you know, I, I wanted to use my degree, but I needed to right. pay the bills, you know, that was the gig that was there. And, and so I did it, <laughs> but I am so so grateful that I did three years of time, general music, K through eight and choir and musical theater. Um, it, I, I didn't really pay attention to those classes in college, you know, <laughs> cause I never, I was like, forget this. I just need to get through this one, uh, for the transcript. You know, I just never planned to do it, but, oh man, doing it it, general music stuff. yeah it set me up to be the teacher that I am and um all of those skills I use every single day 
um, when I teach. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's really, it's so know. great to hear. And um, it brings up the issue of licensure and certification. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I don't know what your curriculums were like, but in my bachelor's degree, you had to do everything. Mm -hmm. I did too. It was actually a good thing. I mean, was organ good. was my primary instrument, mm -hmm. and yet I wanted to be a band director. I played, I played trumpet, I played horn, and I had, you know, taken lessons in percussion and clarinet, and you know, because I knew I wanted to be a band director. Mm -hmm. I was less interested in strings, but I still had to take those methods courses. Mm -hmm. And there's been a trend, I think, towards increasing specialization, mm -hmm. and even That's in some when it states, hit me you're, in college. yeah, your license licensure only supposedly at least allows you to teach certain things and I right. think that having to do all of that in my formative years and then when I when the principal said to me oh by the way you know you're going to be the general music teacher as well there was another music teacher in the school thank goodness mm -hmm. but she had her own 800 kids so uh, when he said you're going to be the general music teacher as well yes I mean, I panicked and I thought, oh, good grief. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, I went back the to those classes. Yep. I will say I didn't teach the way I was taught to teach in those classes, mm -hmm. but they got me through the beginning. Got you started. They got me started. I remember taking the uh, worksheet that my professor had given me for how to plan a lesson, you know? The, the student will be able to, colon, <laughs> the objective, you know, and then like five minute chunks of activities yeah. to fill up that 25 minutes yep. um, of K6 K for me um, mm -hmm. in my first job. Yeah. But the whole licensure thing is really interesting because, yeah, I think, Kelly, I am just old enough to have been able to get a k-12 choral general music and instrumental music mm -hmm. certification and i've been able to hang on to that my cert is the same i am certificated to teach general music choir orchestra and band uh-huh but it was just after that this transition happened but like the squeeze of money and like mm -hmm. let's make it that was starting so I took classes, I took, you were required to take classes and all of the things, but you were forced to make choices about which way you would focus. Right. And so I was focusing towards band. And so I only took one general music class and I only took um, one string techniques class and I took the bass because of jazz, you know? So like, yeah. I missed out on being required right. to take more general music orchestra and choral. And I was, I was very lucky because I was, I was required right. probably because I went to the university of Montana and there it's kind of almost an expectation. If you stay in state that you know, you're going to be Maybe the one person yeah. in this rural right, 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 place. Right. Yeah. So you got to know how to do it all. But I was lucky to have a very inspiring general music student teaching um, in addition to my instrumental um, secondary. And it was just really eye-opening to me and just like, wow. And being able to sit and behold the genius mm -hmm of these teachers. Oh man. When there's a good general music teacher in the room, we're looking at a genius folks. Genius. <laughs> well, it is, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is amazing uh, what teachers accomplish in a short amount of time uh, and it flows yeah. and it, it really is a beautiful thing to see. You know, when I started teaching college, I then, I didn't teach instrumental methods courses, interestingly enough. I taught general music methods wow. courses. <laughs> and um, one of the things I always loved was that in the middle school general music methods course, on the first day, I would always say, how many of you want to teach middle school? I know. 
no one <laughs> zero <laughs> no one it was like are you kidding me mm-hmm. and then of course we would go around well i want to do choir i want to do band i want to do orchestra i want to teach high school everyone wants I, to teach you know, high school. i want to teach mm-hmm. high school ensembles and all of that and one of the things i love we taught our methods courses on site in a school mm. uh this was in atlanta and so I could teach, then they could teach, I could critique them. We held our actual class at the school after they had taught. Mm. Um, And what I loved was by the end of the semester, I would say, okay, how many of you think you might like to teach middle school? And inevitably, a number of hands would go up. Not every hand, but a number of hands would go up. So I always considered that a success. If I got some of the kids in that class because that's where so many of the openings were. Yeah, there were so many openings to start out in middle school, and there are a lot of times magic happens. It's Kelly and I. Kelly and I lovingly call it. Uh, it was a phrase coined by our former administrator, the minute the middle school moment, and. Uh-huh. Kelly and I are bought into that 100%. We are middle school people. And neither of us thought that we were. We both thought we were high school people. Yeah. 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 And, And it's just like, it's so brilliant. But those middle school gigs, now Kelly and I are definitely, this doesn't exist anymore really, but Kelly and I were both full time in, eventually for me, full time in our our you know concentration so i was teaching five orchestras in a middle school building which doesn't happen okay it doesn't happen it's not happening anymore but and i was uh, teaching five bands which is was a little more common right but still not still not and jazz band during the school day and all this stuff but um almost all middle school gigs are gonna have something else thrown in there and and you need to have some different perspectives so david this is kind of getting to the point of why we reached out to you in the first place because kelly and i in our incessant um scrolling of the interwebs and the (laughs) socials encountered a document that you helped right and um uh, through a committee that you chair and this document is um it is called a manifesto for progressive change in the undergraduate preparation of music majors and kelly sent me the link for this document and both of us were like dude check this we were like we were like Yes. I mean, just simply yes was the the word that we said immediately. And um, because this is something that needs to be addressed. So um, well, let me let me ask you yeah. what jumped out at you. I mean, what were there? Was there one thing or were there a couple things? What what I what couldn't really believe, made David, you I be could interested not believe. in this? I absolutely was floored that there were professors employed at universities who put their names on a document with the word manifesto in it. I was like, oh, snap. I mean, I couldn't believe just that part because I, um, I spent a lot of time thinking about, um, how how much Beth and I are advocating for change um, at the in the K twelve system, mm-hmm. but how you constantly bump up you bump against up. this idea that we have to be preparing kids for college, which I already have a problem with that concept anyway. But that it's hard to um, present a counter narrative to that when colleges are doing such a prescribed thing universally that I also think is a problem but knowing the structures at schools there and and having been um previously married to a professor 
I know that we can much more easily create change K-12 because it's really just teachers collectively deciding we're going to do this differently. That's all it takes. Just teach right. a little different in your classroom. Right. But how the change would happen at the college level right. feels impossible. And it's me. just like, if for me, like the reason I was like, yes, is because every time I try to crack that nut by myself or think about it, or also even like try to enter into a conversation with people about it, it ends up being the spiraling thing. And I feel like I'm going down the tubes. Like I'm like losing ground here. Like, oh, I'm almost hopeless about, is there the ability to make change? And how does undergraduate college preparation of music educators play into this? Um, and then entrance requirements and what have you for prospective music ed students and what they play, how they play it, the style of music that they are asked to demonstrate, all of this stuff, um, it just becomes this big spiral. So I was like, a manifesto, this <laughs> is what we need. Well, I'll tell you, we took some heat uh, for yeah. that. I know you did. People thought we were advocating Marxism or something, I guess. A manifesto is nothing more than a declarative statement. And we could have said a declaration, but we all agreed declaration was not strong enough. Mm -hmm. um, and anyone who reads the report, uh, and I would encourage you, I'm not trying to promote the book necessarily. Please promote um, the book. Yeah. Say it out loud. <laughs> but we did a book, and I put the title in the chat. The full report and the final version of the report, I think you said you have a draft copy, but the final version of the report is right in the center uh, of this book. It's a much better centerfold than you would find in some other less, uh, what shall we say, professional <laughs> magazines. So that this is, uh, uh, the full report is in the book. Uh, it's available, of course, through Amazon or wherever, but it's called Redefining Music Studies in an Age of Change, Creativity, Diversity, and Integration. And it, it's really fascinating to me what you're hitting on here. I had, uh, I moved into college teaching. I was teaching methods courses. Um, I, of course, was drawing on a lot of the creative work that I had done as a middle school teacher. But when I put my kids out in schools to practice teach, they were running up against this very kind of traditional mindset. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they, those teachers had been educated that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, even, uh, you know, to the extent that ultimately I only taught PhD students anymore, but for many years, the first thing I said to my kids at the beginning of the year was, or the semester, you need to be a change agent if you're gonna be in this class, because things need to change. And it does come back, you're absolutely right, to the colleges and the universities. It's always you know, a little bit painful for me to hear teachers say, well, everything I do, I picked up somewhere else. I didn't pick it up. Now, Beth, you were different. You said you had a phenomenal general music experience and mm -hmm. I'm glad that you did. And I hope that the students who studied with me did as well. But we higher education generally uh, is very entrenched, uh, very embedded in politics and tradition. Um, and so the way this whole idea came about that there needed to be some kind of a report was that when Pat Campbell was president of the College Music Society, there were a number of us who almost coincidentally started talking about necessary change. And someone at some point said, you know what? We need a task force that puts some of this down, that actually says, here are changes we need to make. 
And I can tell you some of the some of the things we talked about. And yes, they're closely related to music ed, although in many ways, the most progressive profession within the music field is music ed. Uh, I mean, I might talk about teachers who are traditional and things like that, and there certainly is some of that. But whether it's cultural diversity, improvisation and composition, uh, you know, socially relevant and social justice kinds of issues, the K-12 folks are certainly well ahead of the college folks uh, in those important topics. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean to diminish in any way uh, the great work that has gone on, particularly in the field of music education. I'm not as convinced that it's gone on in music teacher education to the extent that it's gone on within the K-12 uh, area. So um, uh, recognizing all the things you said, Kelly, about how hard it is to make change in higher education, we knew that we were going out on a limb but we were all just radical enough, I guess. Uh, if you looked at us, you wouldn't think we were radical. But I think <laughs> our... enough. I mean, is there <laughs> some maybe job security? Mm -hmm. um, all of mm -hmm. that. Yeah. All of that. You yeah. Know, fortunately, we were all tenured, so that right. we didn't have to worry about that. Well, thank uh, you for leveraging your power. Yes. <laughs> For reals. Well, I mean, those of us that have it and have some security um, and have a platform, I mean, we're obligated to do that. I yeah, think. Well, absolutely. I, I agree with you. And I've certainly gotten myself in enough trouble, enough hot water along the way doing that. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a greater mission here. And that greater mission is the value of music to, to the life of being a human. Uh, and if we're not committed to that, then we should get out of the business. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's what we're here for. Um, and I think all of us on the task force agreed that where we lost our way in our profession, you know, over time was, you know, with the desire to create a class of people in the United States who valued and appreciated Western European classical music, it was only natural that music schools then evolved to support that. And so the question for us was, what's, what's relevant musician education now? Yeah. Um, if you want to be a school that only teaches Western European classical music, have at it just be honest that that's yeah. what you're going to do but if you're a music school you have a responsibility to teach an understanding of music and the human condition music as it occurs throughout the world why it is that virtually every society has developed music as an expressive medium and this is something that too many of our aspiring career musicians just don't get, whether it's in music ed or performance. Performance often, nothing along these lines. And then the importance of improvisation and composition, not only to your career, but also to all of the advantages that accrue in terms of creativity in other areas of life, problem solving, nuance, empathy, extending ideas, uh, development of ideas, all of those kinds of things that accrue and the ability to free yourself from notation and be expressive in music. So, you know, I'd love to talk about the things that are most interest to you because I can go a thousand directions on this. Well, but. you know, if you've, if you've listened to past shows and it, it, some of Kelly's and my favorite topics have to do with um, what well, we call it putting the festive back in festivals, but just the, um, the overarching punitive nature of music ed at times and um, the learning of an instrument in that traditional, uh, I guess, Western art music style of teaching yeah. and learning um, is punitive 
Um, it's competitive um, and aligning in perfection, right? Perfection, aligning music with sports um, and like making it in some places in this country, teachers evaluations are based on yeah. how well their ensemble plays at this sports like kind of tournament bit. Yeah. And it's like um, all of the things that you were talking about that music does to benefit us. It's the um, opposite. It's the opposite of, <laughs> of what is taught and shown is important yep. in a lot of music education settings. And um, I'd say all of them at the secondary level. Right. And it's just um, like, we got to do something about that. Well, it's a, it's a self-perpetuating cycle, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because, yes. you know, we lose that sense of music learning is for everybody. And we keep narrowing, narrowing, narrowing. The pyramid. Uh, and, and again, it is important to recognize that there are there are people who are doing their level best to be creative in high school music and mm -hmm. to teach, oh, yeah. you know, students who aren't necessarily an ensemble. So I don't want to in any way seem like I'm indicting people for what they do or don't do but it's it's part of a system right and extracting yourself from that system can be very difficult mm -hmm. when i started teaching middle school another thing my principal said to me was now david i want you to understand this is a middle school we don't do interscholastic sports our instruction our teaching and learning is exploratory mm -hmm. and I do not want you taking the bands and the orchestra to competitions. Wow. I like that, man. You lucked out. <laughs> That's an awesome principle. <laughs> yes. Well, when it came to competition season, euphemistically called festivals, right. when, it came, when it came to festival time, who do you think I got a call from? It wasn't the principal. The president, the president of the regional mm -hmm. music educators association, mm -hmm. chastising me uh -huh. for cheating for cheating these kids out of going to competitions because oh. competition strengthens the drive to be Kelly, as you said, perfect. Yep. Right. And after all, that's what we want. Yeah. So then as you know, the spiral that you talked about earlier, Beth, you move on into high school, it becomes more competitive. Just kids who are wanting up. to explore, mm -hmm. kids who are wanting to create, mm -hmm. kids who don't fit the mold, kids who don't want to be in the conformance of marching bands. And I'm not saying, I mean, those kids who want to do that, I think that's great. Yeah, but they love that it. Should, not the not be the be all and the end all right. of what a music program consists of. Then you audition if you want to be a music major, and you get five minutes to play your instrument, and God forbid that you're nervous and make a couple of mistakes, because again, right. this is a competitive school, folks. You don't get in if you're not at the top of the heap. And furthermore, you must play a Western art music piece. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let me tell you something we did at Augsburg University, which was the last place that I was a department chair before my retirement at the end of April. Uh, we get a lot of, well, first of all, we're 50% students of color. And you, of course, know that students of color are the most disadvantaged students in terms of being able to take private lessons, having opportunities in their communities they may not even have a music teacher in their school and so on. So we have kids who are socioeconomically deprived um, and we were getting kids who wanted to be music majors who were coming in and they had taught themselves to play through the internet. Mm -hmm. or, you know, they played guitar, for example, mm -hmm. or they didn't know all of the perfect techniques of Maybe they grew up playing in the church choir. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So our faculty 
uh, said, well, you know what? A lot of these kids have potential and we think we could actually give them a legitimate music degree. We're not talking here about dumbing things down. Mm -hmm. We think if we get hold of those kids, we can bring them to a point where they have a degree and they can serve their communities, particularly as music teachers, but perhaps mm -hmm. also as performers. So we developed a whole different approach to admissions. Um, Ooh, I would like to get my hands on that course requirements list and those audition requirements someday. Well, we that have, cool. I mean, I can get them for you. We have a creativity portion. We don't even use the word audition anymore. We call it a review. Nice. We have a creativity portion where the kids who are applying to be music majors get into groups of about eight or 10 and a faculty member leads improvisatory exercises that consist mostly of clapping exercises, patching, body, body percussion, no instruments, body percussion. And we do uh, melodic and we do rhythmic and we combine them. And it begins by imitating the professor as a group, low risk, very low risk, going around the group one by one. Then the kids become leaders and they're giving patterns and then they have to elaborate on patterns. And some of these kids, you know, you say to them, now what we'd like you to do is take that pattern and we'd like you to change it in some way. And a kid will say, oh, you mean improvise. You know, and they may never have had a high school program or a private lesson that they were part of. This is something they've picked up on their own. So this gave us an opportunity to discover potential in kids rather than to assess them in a little five minute audition on the hardest trumpet concerto they can come up with. The Hummel. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, Kelly, I mean, Kelly and I in our teaching at Washington Middle School would, you know, meet together at lunch and just talk about kids, you know, it's almost like we could smell it. You can like, smell it. you can just feel it. You just feel it with a kid. You just And you like make some there. real strategic placements based on just a feeling. Yeah, I will never forget. Like th those are my, those are my most memorable students. Yeah. Um, the kids who, in a, in a lot of cases started with us mm -hmm. in the beginning classes that we taught maybe had just a very musical family maybe we're playing in church maybe self-taught yeah. um and then we would you know it just you can feel it with this kid they they are music yeah, yeah. who yeah. they are and um you know sure I would just move them up to the jazz band, like three leaps yeah. in the thing. You, you just know? trusting your hunch. Just trusting well, it. Well, you know and what happens. Once yeah. you give a kid like that an opportunity, they move fast. Right. You know, they, they tend to be passionate about what they yep. want to do mm -hmm. and they move fast. So this- Because I'm you gave them some the, trust, mm -hmm. right? right? Because yeah. you gave them some trust. You just- they already yeah. have it. You yeah. just verified it. Yeah. yeah. Validate. Validate. And we never tell a kid, no, you can't be a music major. We say, based on your creativity, your interview, and by the way, they can play anything they want, play or sing anything they want. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we make some suggestions, but, you know, basically it's pretty wide open. So based on all of this, you can take any of the music programs you're interested in. We think you're gonna be successful. To somebody else, we might say, well, it's probably not very likely that you're gonna be successful pursuing a performance degree, but you might wanna consider music therapy or music ed, and you'll still get lots of performance. And if you show potential for a performance degree, you'll have an opportunity to try for that again. Or we may say, you know, we think you'll be really successful as a music minor. And we would suggest that, you know, you put a package together to get a minor in music. 
for our judgment is that it's going to be tough for you to have a career in music. If you want to try it, you're welcome to try it. We're just giving you our best advice before you spend $50,000 a year <laughs> only to find out that this isn't going to work. Or we say, you know, we would love to have you participate in the music program. It's going to be really tough for you to succeed in classes with music minors and music majors, but you want to be in an ensemble, you want to be in a guitar combo, you know, whatever their particular area is, we welcome you to participate. So this, this is, you couldn't do this in every school, but this is consistent with our population and the overall philosophy of Augsburg University. And I'll tell you one more thing quickly that we've done. We just threw away our old music history sequence. And now everybody is required to take a global music history sequence that we designed last summer. Wow. And that came from our kids. Yes. Our kids of color said to us, you know, we're not getting music of our own people. And we want a much richer and more diverse music history curriculum. And our faculty said, you know what, you're right. That's what we're They're right. Do. And yeah. you know what, that is, that is something we should be gifting to white kids too. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I was just as you were talking, I was thinking about um, how much like what classes did I take in college that really uh, that I still utilize and not a not a lot of the theory or history core sequence right but a lot of ethnomusicology classes that I took not because like I needed them they were totally optional I just discovered that I really liked taking night classes um and so the ethno classes tended to be at night and so you know I just for just for fun and it wasn't really fair I would always like basically <laughs> set the curve as the only musician in the whole class you know <laughs> um but it was um I I remember then thinking I cannot believe that this is not required it is yeah. so insulting um, that this is not required and feeling pretty outraged that um, the rest of my cohort would not have any of that knowledge. Um, well, that and then just tracking of students. And I, David, I am a string player and a string teacher. So um, I have always felt emotionally raw, if you will, about just feeling like I'm always tracked. Oh, you're a violinist. So oh, yeah. you yeah. you may not participate in the jazz band or you, you're you a, a classical musician. So you are not going to be an improviser. And, you know, I really made it my business to break that mold and, you know, joined a rock band and played electric violin and all this stuff and got into bluegrass and all this stuff. And even now I feel tracked as a string playing improviser. Oh, you're into fiddling. And you know what? I'm into all kinds of different things. Well, it's not just yeah. fiddling. And in fact, I'm kind yeah. of sick of fiddling. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think... In some ways, if we boiled down the manifesto, what we wanted to say is we want the education of musicians to be based in the richness of music as human expression, yes. wherever that takes you. Yes. Wherever that takes you. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about Trish Trash. I don't mean that at all. But we have a responsibility to help kids learn to make judgments about human expression. We do that with books that we read and everything else. But I think, um, you know, anybody who reads the manifesto will see that we um, advocate a couple of things. An option rich program. Kelly, yes. that's what you were just describing, mm -hmm. a program that gives you lots of options 
to pursue what you want to pursue. And of course, the first thing people say is, oh, but then you'll get out without having this. Okay, well, that's not a disaster. If you need something that you didn't get, then go back and get it. I mean, mm -hmm. there are yes. multiple ways to learn that maybe don't always occur within a higher education degree program, or you can do graduate. I mean, the, it's not a tragedy if there's something that you didn't get. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to make choices. Another is meet the students where they are. And I've often thought, you know, the manifesto was heavily criticized by the theory faculty. Um, and I think, I think what they were concerned about was that they felt that we were not acknowledging things that are already being done. But incorporating a little bit of rock and pop into your theory class is not what we were talking about. We were talking about integrating diverse musics into theoretical understanding. Mm -hmm. So what if you began theory in the first year by saying, what music excites you? Mm -hmm. What do you listen to? What do you instead love? Of, instead of four measure Bach chorales. What the heck are you doing here being a music major? Why, why do you think this is something you want to spend your life doing? And then take that and say, okay, so, you know, what? You love Hindustani stuff? Well, let's figure that. Why does Hindustani music sound the way that it does? Or you love bluegrass? How comes bluegrass sounds this way or that way? I had such a neat experience with my uh, young grandson, um, who's very, very musical, just great kid. And my wife and I had gone to Vietnam and I had some videos of Vietnamese music. And I was playing these for him and he goes, Opa, why does their music sound different from the music that I'm playing on my violin? And I thought, Perfect. This sounds like a teachable moment for Opa. <laughs> Why does it sound the way that it does? And I'll bet you we would have a lot fewer kids coming in saying, I don't know what those theory classes have to do with what I'm trying to do. And then how do you get interested in learning about Bach chorales? Well, you throw Bach into the mix. Yep, a little bit here and there. And a little dabble, goes, do ya? Yeah. They'll oh, be like, man, was... this guy was brilliant. I like that. That's I'd like to learn more about that music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I we were trying to get people to think about curriculum content and ways of teaching that would prepare students to do work that's relevant to the society and culture in which they're going to find themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I won't say that we have it down perfectly. We don't. The whole idea was to get people to think about it, talk about it. You know, are there ideas here you can use? And also, how would you go about change? Kelly, you said earlier, change in higher education is so difficult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what it takes, in my view, is people being willing to sit down and say, what if we did such and such? you know, and just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I can be, I, I can be pretty cynical. And <laughs> when you said that David, that there was pushback from the, the theory professors, my immediate uh -huh. thought was, I'm pretty sure they're worried. They're not going to have a job. And um, then I was like, release this idea, Kelly, you're being a jerk <laughs> as you were talking. Um, but I, and then, and then I thought about this, um, this principle that Beth and I had, and, um, we, there was this really emotional time at Washington middle school where, um, some changes in staffing, um, were happening and our principal said at the time, you cannot imagine the people we're talking about. It's a position, right? Like it's, we're just going to have three vice principals instead of four, right? So everyone's thinking about this one teacher that we're going to lose and no one wants that. 
but his point was you can't be emotional it it's it, it's just the numbers it's just what it is and i remember thinking at the time damn that's cold like that is so not human like i can't do that yeah but then again uh for like courageous change to happen at the college level where there's a thing called tenure it is actual people right if you do decide to change and move away from the two-year western art music history and theory core those are humans who will likely be without jobs but what if they were just willing to alter their curriculum that's why I think part of why it's so tricky is because these yeah. are actual people who have actual jobs. Yeah, and I do think that's where administrators have to be sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. Someone who's been invested in teaching Western European art music, you know, using grout, you know, for 30 mm -hmm. years, <laughs> you know, you don't just suddenly say to that person, sorry, you're useless, you know, you're not going to be around here anymore. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is find something that that person can do. Yeah. Uh, the way that we worked at this was opening up those courses as liberal arts courses. Interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. Because there are kids across the university who are really interested in classical music and yeah. they can count it for their gen ed requirements. Yeah. It means it has to be taught a little differently from the way it was taught. And there might be some grumblings about that, but mm. right, right. So be it. Having to yeah. teach the general pop. <laughs> right. And yeah, I'm not saying that, a, you know, uh, college professors become very possessive of their courses. Yes. Oh, I know. Um, yeah. Which is another impediment to change. Mm. But our entire faculty, um, well, let me change that, 85% of our faculty um, said this has to happen. Yeah. And so that's just it. You know, there comes a point when not only is it a majority rule thing, but it's also the fact that it's time to do the right thing. Doing the right thing. And you know, a couple of things have been going through my mind. Um, I think about this new approach to, to music theory instruction, music theory 101 instruction as this is differentiation and this is just simply good teaching. Mm -hmm. And that's something that like even a dyed in the wool Western art music approach person should want to wear as a badge of honor. I can differentiate for my students. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and learning how to dig deep. Um, but then another thing that I've been, that's been running through my mind a lot is um, how it must have felt to the students who got into the program that you were offering um, because it might have been the first place in like this organized um, institutional structure where they felt that they had permission mm -hmm. to bring the music that they truly love from outside of the walls of the music classroom into the walls of the music classroom. They're like, oh, wow, I don't have to check who I am at the door. Right. That's absolutely true. We've seen that in multiple uh, instances. Now, don't get me wrong, the majority of our students still, you know, are probably mostly, mostly interested in classical performance and so on, but we have a large music business program. Mm -hmm. Those kids are interested in more commercial, more, more commercially mm -hmm. oriented music and certainly in diverse cultural uh, expressions. So um, another thing that we did um, to try to open up our curriculum was we were getting kids who said, you know, I really want to teach. I see teaching as my mm -hmm. calling. I do not want to teach in a school. Mm. Yeah. And we have a number of large community music schools in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. So we developed in our music ed program, we did not want to develop a whole different degree program in community music. Using this lifespan idea, and school community connections, 
you can now opt out of licensure or the way we say it is you can opt into licensure. Mm-hmm. So if you, you'll still take all the methods courses. The only thing is those methods courses are now going to be taught from a lifespan developmental perspective instead of only a school-based perspective. Mm-hmm. And you can do an internship in a community music school, in a community music center. If you're more interested in education programs of an orchestra, you can serve your internship there. Um, and you'll come out with a music ed degree but you won't have licensure. The good thing is if you decide you want licensure, you've taken so much of that program that all you have to do is a little bit of work and your student teaching. And you'll I be really able to get- I really love that. I know, Kelly, I'm thinking- licensure. I'm like and dreaming when, of kids doing their student teaching with you at Seattle Jazz. I know, I would so love to take student teachers. Um, and, you know, they're- has suddenly, at least suddenly to me, seems like there's this large group of young adults who want to be teachers, but not in the schools. Yes. And really to me, that's exciting, but it also tells us, I think it tells us pretty definitively that the way that we are teaching six through eight um, band, orchestra, and choir, the way that we're doing music in our secondary schools is not what a lot of young people imagine right. they want to do. Right. That's right. Uh, clearly. Yeah. I mean, Which even if they want to have a private studio. We need to change what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. They want to have a private studio. This is a right. great program for them to take mm-hmm. because they learn about teaching and learning. They don't just go out and replicate whatever their teacher happened to yep. do, good, good yes. bad, or indifferent, yep. but yep. they really understand teaching and learning. Yeah, we've got a lot of kids very interested uh, in this program, but you know who was not interested in it was the accrediting people from the National Association of Schools of Music. They didn't know what to do with this, yep. and it took us two years to finally get them to approve a music ed degree with this non-licensure component built in. But they did. And in the final letter we got, they said, thank you for opening this conversation. Oh, and I know well, that, that feels are, like a door for this to be happening other places then. Yeah. And I know that there are other people around the country who are interested in doing this mm-hmm. if they can overcome the resistance in their own institutions. Oh man, there is so much to unpack. Um, and it's just like, I'm, I'm, I know that like, I am feeling so much more hopeful. It's like the, the spiral, the whirlwind of um, just thinking there's nothing we can do about this. There's just simply, you know, whatever. It's just, it's broken and we can't fix it. And that's been the answer all these years, all these years, it's been the answer. And here we are. And I'm like feeling pumped up. I'm feeling like there's hope. I'm feeling like maybe inch by inch, we're going to move this boulder down the trail a little bit. Well, there are lots of people who clandestinely say to me, oh, this is what we have to do. But as Kelly, as you pointed out in the very beginning, it, it takes a lot of, I guess, chutzpah or willingness to realize, you know, it's not gonna happen in a day. There are so many changes I still wish I could be part of, but it's time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. I'll do it another way through mm-hmm. writing or speaking or whatever, but, uh, I, and I think the younger generation of professors now wants to do this if they just don't become enculturated into the system. Yeah. Where somebody says, well, if you're going to get tenure, you'll have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. If they can just not get sucked into that. Yep. Mm-hmm. This so is there's always advice. hope. There's always hope. 
and it's there just some hope thank you for uh opening this this window for us this yes is this is an amazing conversation thank you wow i'm really my excited. pleasure thanks thanks for having me A million thanks to our listeners, followers, and subscribers. The support we receive monetarily and otherwise helps us to be able to spend time creating a quality product, and it allows us to tap into partnerships and resources to which we wouldn't normally have access. We are stoked about the journey of learning we have ahead of us, and we are delighted you've decided to join.